Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing through our walk through the book of Luke, and we find ourselves down in Luke chapter number 1, beginning in verse 46, and we're looking at what's been called the Magnificat, uh, Latin for doth magnify. This is Mary's song. This is Mary's praise of what God did in her life through the virgin birth and the incarnation of Christ and um, God's selection of her as to be the one who would birth the Messiah into this world. But as we were together last time, we saw that Mary had traveled some 80-odd miles, an approximately three-day journey from the region of Nazareth to the southern region of Judah to visit her cousin Elizabeth to share the good news of her pregnancy and also to see her cousin's pregnancy as she had been informed by Gabriel. Their visit was marked by joy and praise for the person in presence of Jesus Christ, whom they knew to be God's promised Messiah that would save his people. Even John the baby, before he was John the Baptist, leapt for joy in his mother's womb. Now we examine a further detail of their time together, and that is Mary's song, the Magnificat, as it's been called. This is Mary's song of praise and worship towards the Lord, God of Israel. In this inspired account, we find what I call the precepts of proper praise. The precepts of proper praise. Praise. Now, the term praise and worship gets thrown around a lot today. Unfortunately, most do not have a biblical understanding of what true praise and worship is. They hear that term and immediately think of a style of music, particularly contemporary Christian music. However, and I'm not suggesting that God cannot be worshipped and praised through music, the music itself is not praise and worship. You can sing and do so beautifully and artistically till the cows come home, and it be not worship. The prophet Amos told the people of Israel in Amos 5, 21 and 24 that God hated their songs of worship. Why? Because it was lip service, but their heart was far from him. As Jesus quoted Isaiah in Mark chapter 7, They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So then let me press the point. What then are the precepts of proper praise? What is the worship that is acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ and honors him? Well, that is exactly what we aim to draw from this text today. As I uncover to you the thought, the precepts of proper praise, biblical worship through the examination of the Magnificat. Now, let's read our text. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. <clears throat> and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. I want to give you these five precepts of proper praise on the front end, okay? And then we're going to go through them each through the text. Number one, 
proper praise is God-centered and not man-centered. That's verses 46 through 47. Number two, proper praise involves the whole person, mind and spirit. Again, verses 46 through 47. And then thirdly, proper praise acknowledges our need for God. Verses 47 and 48. Fourthly, proper praise reveres God as holy. Verse 49. And then finally, verses 50 through 56, proper praise exalts the mercy of God. And so let's start with number one. Proper praise is God-centered and not man-centered. Mary did not need lights and good acoustics. She did not have a band, nor a choir, nor an orchestra, and yet she sang to the Lord. As far as we know, she may have been off-key. She might be the worst singer in the history of humanity. But none of that is the point, for she was praising God, not man. She was seeking to please the ears of the Lord and not the ears of man. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with using multiple instruments or being a good singer or any of the above. What I'm telling you is that if we are not careful, our idolatrous hearts will be more concerned with the praise of man than the praise of God for this cause. I've always been concerned with what I call the rock star version of church music, where singers, typically females, dress inappropriately and gyrate on stage as if they are Madonna or Britney Spears and then have the audacity to call it worship and praise when clearly such behavior places the spotlight on themselves rather than placing the spotlight on Jesus. Yet here we have Mary, and she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. Emphasis on the Lord. And so proper praise is God-centered and not man-centered. And before you think I'm speaking of a specific style, let me stop you. There's just as much Southern gospel that's unbiblical. There's even hymns that I don't sing in our church because they're unbiblical. And, on, and transversely, there is contemporary Christian music that is very biblical. Um, I love a group by the name of Sovereign Grace Music. They are a contemporary group. They use multiple instruments, but they draw their lyrics strictly from the Bible. And so their, their music is very theologically rich. In fact, they have a song titled, He Who Is Mighty Has Done a Great Thing. And it comes straight from this passage. And so I'm not talking about style. I'm talking about substance. Please hear me once and again. I'm not talking about style. I'm talking about substance. And so proper praise is God-centered and not man-centered. Let me say one more thing on that. When we hear these lyrics from some of the modern music, and it's all about me, God lift me up, God do this, and if you, if you listen many times, the name of Jesus isn't even mentioned. And if you didn't know any better, you would just think it was a girl singing about her boyfriend because the lyrics are drenched with a humanistic view, and they're man-centered and not God-centered. Again, this takes place in Southern Gospel too. Um, there are hymns that are like this. It's not style. Please hear me. Because somebody will go away from this and say, that's right, preacher, that contemporary music's the devil. That's not what I said. It's not style, it's substance. Proper praise is God-centered, not man-centered. That's why Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Secondly, 
proper praise involves the whole person, mind, and spirit. It's not just lip service. Now, what do I mean by the whole person, mind, and spirit? Well, look to Mary's first two statements. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, underline those two words, soul and spirit. In the Greek, the first word translated soul comes from the Greek word suke. It can be translated as life or mind. However, when the context requires the word soul, then it's a reference to the inner person, the real you, the seat of emotions, your inner consciousness. Secondly, she says, my spirit, that is pneuma, rejoices. Pneuma denotes the spirit of a human, that which makes us alive, our spiritual self. Now, as you can see, these two words are extremely similar. And in many contexts, they are used synonymously. And that's why one of my heroes, R.C. Sproul, believes that in this context that this is just good old-fashioned Hebrew parallelism like what's seen in the psalm. If you ever read a psalm, you'll see two or three lines that say, uh, you know, this is that and that's this. But if you look at them, they're basically saying the same thing. That's called Hebrew parallelism. Very common in the psalms. You know, it might say, the Lord is mighty. And he is strong, okay? Well, which is it? Well, it's both because his might and his strength is one and the same. It's parallelism. It's it's poetic. Now, that's what R.C. Sproul believes she's doing here, and I tend to agree with him. Um, but, I, but I also think that it can be both in, that Mary is making the point that everything she is, her mind, her emotions, her soul, all, all of whatever you want to call it, everything about her, is praising the Lord, is praising the Lord. And so this Hebrew parallelism shows us that everything about her is praising the Lord, and it's mentioned twice to add emphasis, to add emphasis. You know, when God says something once, that's enough, but when he says something twice, he's trying to get our attention. And so Mary is worshiping the Lord with her whole person, mind and spirit. So proper praise involves the whole person, mind and spirit. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic. Because I realize that some uh, Hebrew scholars that are far more uh, advanced in the languages than I am, I, I took Hebrew and Greek in seminary. I made a decent grade, but I did not excel in it. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm an expert in the biblical languages. More of my time was spent studying systematic theology. That's what my MA was in, and then my MDiv was general, and then my doctor of ministry was in expository preaching and teaching. So I was more hermeneutics, homiletics, systematic theology, not so much uh, ancient languages. Of course, we know the biblical language is Greek and Hebrew. So I, I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I think the point is simply this. When you are praising the Lord properly, it involves the whole person. I think that's the point. And so, matter of fact, I know that's the point. Now, it also shows us something else about Mary, doesn't it? Hey, Mary knew her Bible because there have been many parallels drawn between Mary's song and Hannah's prayer or Hannah's praise, as it's sometimes called in the book of 1 Samuel, when she is praising and praying to the Lord for a child and then worshiping the Lord for the child, etc., etc. And, the, and they are. They're very similar. And so this just further indicates that Mary was a devout follower of the Lord God of Israel. She was not a nominal Jew. She was sincere in her devotion to the Lord. And so we see that. 
Hence why her praise was most certainly proper. Proper praise involves the whole person and mind. Now, the whole person, mind, and spirit. Here's the problem with us today and with many others. Is we praise him with lip service, but our heart's far from him. Let me tell you something. If you come to church, or you don't have to be at church, but we are called to corporately gather, and I'm not going to argue and debate that when somebody says, I don't need church to be a Christian. That just tells me they've never read the Bible. So I'm I'm not going to what the Bible says don't cast your swine before or cast your pearls before swine. So I'm not going to waste time arguing with a brick wall. But the point is this that Mary knew her Bible, her Old Testament scripture. And so many people today, they sing the songs, but they don't come to a place of obedience. You know, that's the test of true worship. True worship leads to obedience. You say, prove that, Pastor. Okay, I'm glad you asked. First Samuel chapter 15. Saul comes back to Samuel. Oh, we were making a sacrifice. We were, if you will, having a worship service. And what did Samuel say? He looked Saul right in the eyeballs and he said, Saul, and I'm paraphrasing, obedience is better than sacrifice. Why? Because obedience is the true mark that genuine worship and praise have taken place. If you quote-unquote praise the Lord, but it doesn't lead you to a place of obedience, then you have not genuinely, or as we shall say homiletically here, you have not properly Praise the Lord. And so I ask you, has your praise been proper? And so proper praise leads to obedience. Now, thirdly, proper praise not only involves the whole person, mind, and spirit, and proper praise not only is God-centered and not man-centered, but notice the third point in verses 47 through 48. Proper praise acknowledges our need for God. I want to go back and read it to you because I don't want you to forget it. Verse 47 and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now, this is what the Catholic Church and others have greatly erred in their idolatrous view, sometimes called Mariolatry, in worshiping Mary. They have this idea. In fact, it's in their dogma that Mary is co-redemptrix. No, sir. Mary was a sinner like you and I. Now, you say you shouldn't say that. I didn't. Mary said it. She said, my Savior. Well, only sinners need a Savior. Let me say that again because it was so nice it must be said twice. Only sinners need a Savior. Jesus said that. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners. And Mary said, my God, my Savior. And so Mary herself viewed herself as a sinner just like you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, Mary needs Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus because the Bible is very clear. The Bible unequivocally states, number one, our works of righteousness are filthy rags. Number two, for all of sin come fallen short of the glory of God. Number three, for the wages of sin is death. And I could give you countless other scriptures, but time's not going to allow it. But in Mary's acknowledgement of her need for God, does that not reflect to you and I that proper praise acknowledges our need for God? There should be an understanding that we need God. We are sinful. We should acknowledge His holiness. So proper praise acknowledges our need for God, and that leads us to our fourth point. Proper praise reveres God as holy. Let me read verse 49 to you because I need you to know this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Watch this, watch this. And holy is his name. I get worried 
about this praise and worship that we find so many places that is so casual that becomes a matter of entertainment. Heard somebody say this one time, well, I didn't like the worship today. Well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> you know, and let me just say this on a pastoral point uh, of a pet peeve. Couldn't alliterate that any harder if I tried. It always bothers me when the people that have the most to complain about the choir never seem to join the choir or show up to choir practice. And the Baptists say amen or oh me, one or the other. Anyways, proper praise reveres God is holy. The word holy is God's defining attribute. I remind you that the angels in glory do not cry love, love, love. Though that's been our cry, we've overemphasized the love of God at the expense of His holiness. They don't cry grace, grace, grace. But the Bible's very clear that the angels in glory, when they worship the Lord around the throne, they cry this, holy, holy, holy. There's two reasons for that. Number one, repetition gives emphasis. Holiness is His greatest and defining attribute. Number two, the emphasis is given three times. Why? Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. And so, holy, holy, holy. The deep, inspiring, uh, reverential fear of God is completely gone in our churches today. We stroll into worship and treat God as if He is one of us. We don't address Him respectfully. We don't approach Him in holy fear. It's almost as if we see Him as our equal or one of my most hated statements. Oh, he's the big man upstairs. First of all, he's in heaven. Second of all, he's not a man that he should lie. He's a holy other. Hagios, he's holy. He's separate. He's above and beyond. He is complete moral purity. He is the very definition of perfection. He is everything that is right. He is nothing that is wrong. In fact, he is the light and in him dwells no darkness. We ought to have a respectful, healthy fear of God. I remember a time when people would walk into church and they would, I, I'm not talking about being an actor, being a hypocrite, but there was just a sense of respect for the things of God. Those days are long gone. Ladies and gentlemen, proper praise reveres God as holy. He is everything that can be and yet nothing that should not be. He is perfect. He is righteous. I wish my pea brain had the ability to fully explain the holiness of God, but I do not. And so I join Mary and I join the angels and just say, holy is his name. Holy, holy, holy. When one approaches the church just like they rolled out of bed or don't even bring their Bible or has no thought for the moral character of their life, then sing as loud as you want, friend, but you don't even know what praise is, much less who you're praising. Reveres God as holy. You know, that's what happened to Isaiah. You remember the prophet Isaiah? Walk, has a dream. Sees the train of the glory of the Lord in the temple. First words out of his mouth, I'm a sinner and I need God. Now I'm paraphrasing. He said, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. But that's what he was saying, in effect. And then finally, we come to verses 50 through 56, where Mary talks about the mercy of God to those who are in need of mercy. And I'm not going to go back and reread that. But proper praise, fifthly and finally, 
exalts the mercy of God. In these final verses, Mary describes the good things that God does for the undeserving, of which we all are. She uses the term mercy to describe such activity on God's part. Now, mercy is when God withholds that from us which we deserve. We deserve hell, fire, and wrath for the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have offended a thrice holy God. We have mocked Him and derided Him by our wickedness. Yet instead of giving us what we deserve, which is ultimate punishment, those who fear Him, that is the children bought with the precious blood of Christ, receive God's mercy. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if Mary wasn't a sinner, then what did she care about mercy? Because innocent people don't need mercy. Once and again, I prove the point biblically and unequivocally that Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior just like you and I are. Do not buy the lie of the papacy that Mary was this superhuman and that she has a super standard. Ladies and gentlemen, Mary needed Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. She exalts His mercy. Appreciate the beauty of this, that Mary, a sinner herself, is carrying a life that will save her life. I've heard mothers say, my child saved my life. Well, Mary's child literally did because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I just want to praise him this afternoon. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. In conclusion, as we come to a close, we have pondered the precepts of proper praise. Proper praise is God-centered, not man-centered. Proper praise involves the whole person, mind and spirit. Proper praise acknowledges our need for God. Proper praise reveres God as holy. Proper praise exalts the memory of God, the mercy of God. So let's take inventory, church. Did you truly praise and worship God today? The evidence will be obedience. For without submitting to the holy God of heaven, one cannot truly claim to have worshipped Him. For worship and praise denote seeing God for who He is in light of who we are. While we noted this precepts, I want to remind you in a final example of real worship, and I've already mentioned it. Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of the Lord seated on His throne and the train of His glory filling the temple. Here's the cries of angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And how does he respond? He cries out, Woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. Immediately Isaiah becomes aware of his unworthiness, his sinfulness, and light of God's glory and holiness. He is struck with a deep sense of awe, reverence, and respect. But how do we know? Because remember what I told you. Real worship, the evidence is obedience. Watch this. How do we know he properly praised the Lord? Because three chapters later, Isaiah 9, he says this, Here am I, send me. He obeys the call of God. That is the evidence of obedience, or rather the evidence of true worship is obedience. And ladies and gentlemen, if you do not have a heart that has been moved towards obedience further in your life, then I'm telling you, you have not praised the Lord properly. If we have not realized 
who he really is in light of who really we are, can we say we worship? So I ask you again, did you really worship God today? Was your praise proper? God bless you and keep digging in the book of Luke.